Isaiah chapter 9. Isaiah chapter 9 is in the Old Testament. I'll give you a few minutes to find it before we go there. While you're turning there, I just want to welcome our guests today. Anybody that might be uh, visiting with us for the first time, it's great to have you. I know uh, a lot of times when you go to visit a church for the very first time, it's awkward. Uh, I was raised in one of those awkward churches to where they actually, if you were a visitor, they would have you stand. And that was like, I always thought, that, that's, I would never go back, you know, and most of those people didn't. That's why our churches were so small. We scared all the visitors away. But uh, if we, we don't want you to feel awkward, but we want you to know that we recognize you're here. And we're glad. There's a little card there in the back of your seats with a, a pen. Now, if you'd fill that out, you can just leave it laying in your seat. And no one will ever even have to speak to you. If you would like for someone to speak to you, you can drop it off at the Welcome Center. And they'll actually give you a gift in exchange for your card. And so we're not going to harass you or, or do anything like that. We just want to know you're here and who you are, uh, basically. And so if you would do that. Uh, uh, again... Uh, Pay close attention to schedules and all that over the next few weeks about what's going on. I always look forward to uh, Christmas Eve when we can have communion together, and we're going to be doing that on Christmas Eve that morning at 10. Uh, just a lot of good stuff coming up. But I'm excited that you're here today because we're in week two of this series that we started last week that we're calling It, it Came to Pass. And uh, uh, what, what we did last week is I began to try to build a case, if you will, uh, try to uh, explain how the prophecies in the Old Testament about Jesus, how, how, how they are the most convincing thing that we have. Uh, the, the, the Bible basically authenticates uh, the birth of Jesus all throughout the Old Testament through the prophecies that are there. And, and we find, you know, the, the, the proof is there that Jesus is really who he said he was and, and that he was the Messiah, our Lord and our Savior. And we looked at the fact last week, uh, for those of you that weren't here, uh, there are 322 prophecies in the Old Testament about the coming of Jesus, about the coming, the birth, the life, the death, the resurrection and all that. 322 direct and very specific prophecies. We, we looked at several last week that, that were fulfilled pertaining uh, Jesus coming to this earth and the amount of detail that we find that came to pass from every single prophecy is absolutely uh, amazing. We're going to be looking at more of those next week uh, in our service. And so I would encourage you just to do a little research. If you have some extra time, maybe you've got some time off or during your devotional time, just Google and do some research on prophecies of Jesus. And I believe you will, you will get as excited as I have been as I've been preparing uh, for this series. Because after you look at them, it's pretty hard to say that the birth of Jesus was just a coincidence, right? It's pretty hard when you begin to look at all these 322 prophecies fulfilled that it was something that someone just fabricated uh, and, and made up. By fulfilling all these prophecies, uh, God basically just confirmed the whole Christmas story and what it's all about to us. And we've been celebrating it now for thousands of years because it's true and it happened. And, and uh, so uh, that, that Jesus is coming back, you know, and, and that the whole world should be watching for his birth was basic, basically the story of the Old Testament. If you've studied it very much, you know that. So this morning we're going to be Isaiah chapter 9. Uh, I'll admit this is probably not one of the most amazing uh, in terms of details when it comes to prophecies uh, about Jesus' birth. But I believe it's one of the most amazing 
in how we see it describe who Jesus is and who this coming Savior is and what he would be like and what his purposes would be. Now, as I always tell you, anytime we go to Scripture, I think it's important we understand the context. There's a big story around this passage that we're about to look at, and I think it's important that we understand that before we just kind of pull this out of midair and, and read it this morning. But we, we've kind of got to rewind time from the birth of Jesus back some 700 years Okay, 700 years before the birth of Jesus is the time that this was set in. There was a, 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 uh, this rising power in the Middle East, uh, a nation that, that was uh, getting very strong and very powerful, and, and this nation was called Assyria. And all the other nations around there in, in the Middle East, they started to get uh, nervous uh, about how strong and how powerful uh, Assyria was becoming. And so they were worried about that uh, taking place. And so what they began to do is, is these, these other nations in the Middle East, they began to form this alliance together, right? Because they figured the more of us there are together, you know, the, the less likely Assyria would be able to take us over. As a little nation, they could take us over very easily. But if we'll all come together and form this alliance, then it'll be much more difficult to take place. And so they began to form this alliance so that they could defend themselves. And so they go to Jerusalem's king, who we find here in the book of Isaiah as King Ahaz, and they approach him. They said, you know what? Why don't Jerusalem uh, join our alliance here and you'll be safe and you'll be protected if we all come together. Well, Ahaz didn't want to do it because he really didn't like any of these other countries anyway. He didn't trust them. He didn't like them. And, and so, you know, uh, they, because he wouldn't join their alliance, then they kind of turned on Jerusalem. They begin to threaten, okay, well, we'll invade Jerusalem uh, ourselves and, and replace uh, you, the king Ahaz. We'll replace you with somebody who will do what we want and, and will be a part of us. And so, anyway, this alliance, their armies begin to make plans and prepare to uh, uh, go into Jerusalem and basically take over. And so, King Ahaz does what most people would do in leadership at this time. He begins to panic right? Uh, he don't know what to do. And, and so now, next in the story, this king from Assyria approaches Ahaz, right? This very powerful nation that everybody's forming this alliance against. Well, the king from Assyria, he comes to Ahaz and he says, hey, bud, I tell you what. He said, why don't you just join me? He said, you know, I, I'm the most powerful nation uh, around here and all these other people are trying to come against me. Why don't you just join me and you can be a part of what I'm doing and I'll protect you and I'll make sure you're safe and nothing will, will ever happen to you. And of course, Ahaz, now he's, you know, he's a middleman. He don't know which way to go. He don't know whether the lines, he don't know whether to go to Syria. He don't know what to do him, do here. And so, you know, God sends this prophet Isaiah to speak into Ahaz's life, right? To speak through Isaiah to tell Ahaz, this, this is what God wants for his people. This is what God wants for, for Jerusalem. And, and God basically speaks through Isaiah and says to King Ahaz, listen, I don't want you to join with anybody, right? You don't need to have an alliance formed with anybody else. You are my people. You are my children. And I'll protect you. I'll take care of you, you know, quit worrying about what everything else that's going on around you, I'm going to take care of you. So you don't, you don't do anything. 
and, and, and it said, and Isaiah said, and matter of fact, so that you will know this is God speaking to you, uh, God's going to give you a sign, all right, so that you will know this, this is God's will. And you'd think that Ahaz would be excited about that, but instead he's like, you know, no, don't give me a sign because if I get a sign, then I'm going to know, you know, exactly what God's want. So it's all kind of a weird deal. But anyway, the prophet of God, Isaiah, gives him a sign. And in chapter 7, uh, it, it, the Isaiah, in chapter 7 of Isaiah here, the sign is, is that a, a virgin will give birth to a child. And it gets, it gets kind of confusing there because if you continue to read on over in chapter 8, scholars believe you see that there was actually the birth of a child there and you'll see how all that took place there in, in chapter 8. But it becomes very obvious as you continue reading that that was a sign for Ahaz at the time, but it comes, becomes very obvious all right, that the real fulfillment of this promise was coming many years later. Right, And we know now that it was actually 700 years later because here in chapter 9, we start seeing this child that is being prophesied about there described in some incredible and amazing terms. And that's what I want to look at today. So we're finally going to get to our text. Surely you found it by now. Uh, verse number 2, God's Word says this. We're going to start verse 2. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. And verse 4 says, For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Verse 6, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor. He'll be called Mighty God. He'll be called Everlasting Father and, and the Prince of Peace, uh, of the greatness of his government and peace. There, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. Right? And so we have this amazing description here, right? But surprisingly, King Ahaz, he just not putting it all together. He, he ends up rejecting all this advice from God that came through the prophet Isaiah here. And in what he does is he ends up making an alliance with, he decides his best option is to join the most powerful nation uh, and the king of Assyria. So he does that. And as you continue to read and, and study this, you find not only did it not help him, but it ended up backfiring on him because Assyria uh, was lying to him all along and they ended up attacking Jerusalem and trying to, to capture him. And so King, King Azar Ahaz uh, completely loses it and he begins now. Okay, that plan didn't work. And so now he begins to make sacrifices to the gods of these other nations, thinking that if he would show his loyalty toward the gods that they worship, then they might come to his assistance and to his aid. And so basically, what's he doing at this point? He's just grabbing for straws, right? He's in a panic. He's freaking out. He's trying to get himself out of this mess that he's gotten himself into. But at the end of his life, the legacy that he basically leaves behind is that he basically led Israel 
into all types of idolatry and eventually, ultimately, it led to uh, their exile. Isn't this an encouraging, uplifting story to be hearing about at Christmas? I mean, aren't you glad I shared that with you today? So how does this story, how does this prophecy of Jesus answer the problem that Ahaz has here in chapter 9? I mean, this problem that there are, think about what he's up against now. He's got all of these outside enemies. He's got all these big problems. He's got the world pressing in on him from every side. Can anybody... Can anybody relate to what's going on with Ahaz here? I mean, everything's just pressing in. Nothing's going right. Problem after problem after problem. And and as they're surely facing this imminent attack, God gives a promise about a helper. God gives a promise about a Messiah that wouldn't come for another 700 years. So how does this prophecy speak to their situation that they're in. Well, the first thing is this, and I think it's a great reminder for every single one of us today. The answers to all of our problems are found in the Messiah. The answers to any problem that you may ever have in your life whatsoever, the answer to that is Jesus. And here's why I was drawn to this particular story and this particular prophecy to share with you today. I know that I'm speaking to a lot of people here today that have got some problems. Right? I I mean, I talk to some of you, uh, I talk to someone nearly every single day that's got a problem. Right? Something's going on in their life. And, and, and some of you, you know, you have health problems. You have, you have health issues. Some of you have got some relationship problems that you're struggling with and, and that you're dealing with. Some of you are, are having problems with your kids. Some of you maybe are, are having a, a problem at, you know, at your place of employment or at your job. Some of you just said, I've got problems in every single one of those areas you just mentioned. Right? Ahaz. Right? And so some of you this morning may can relate to the king, uh, uh, Ahaz here, and, and you, you look around you and it looks like you have an enemy around you that is so much bigger than you are, right? And so you don't, you don't know what to do, but you know that the only way to overcome it, come it is you need God's help with it, right? And, and I, I, I want to be clear about this this morning. God will help us in the present, Okay. God will help us in the present. Just like he offered to help in this story, God will help us in our present situations and struggles. He offered to help Ahaz. Listen, don't don't ever deny or think that God does not answer prayer. He does. God answers. She's supposed to have been dead a long time ago. Listen, God answers prayers. Scripture makes it very clear. You know, and in this church, we believe that God heals the sick. We, we do, because God's word says it. Not only does it say, say it, we've seen it happen, right? God heals the sick. He does. We believe that he restores marriages. Why do we believe that? Because we've seen it happen. We've seen him do it. And we believe that because many of us have experienced these things in our own lives, in our own families, in our own situations. One of the most awesome things that could ever happen in your life is to see and experience God answering your prayer. 
And, and I don't know why it continues to blow my mind. Lynette and I were talking uh, the, the first of last week about some things. We didn't know what to do. We didn't know how to handle it. Didn't know how to address it. Um, we, well, you know, well, we don't, I guess we'll just ask God. You know, that's why don't we always think of God last. You know, I don't have an answer, but, but let's pray to God. In just this past week, we've seen him in two very specific ways, answer prayers and do things where we needed some guidance in a way that we wouldn't we would have never done it the way it all worked out but he answers uh, prayers but the big point that God is making here is that the ultimate answer to your prayers all right the ultimate answer to all of your prayers is the through the coming of Jesus Christ all right Uh, because here's the deal ultimately all of our prayers need an eternal solution And I want you to think about the kind of prayers that we pray most of the time. The majority of the prayers that we pray, we're seeking temporary answers. We're seeking temporary situations, you know, resolutions to those. Think about it. You or a loved one has a a health issue. What do we do? We pray God that that God would heal, right? Because we believe that he heals. So we pray for him to heal. And if he does, that's awesome. But at some point, you're going to get sick again and die, right? You see how that, that prayer is a temporary prayer? It's a temporary answer to whatever it is that we want at the time. It, it's also temporary. And, and don't miss this. The prince of peace that was promised here was not coming simply to help us out of our temporary situations. He, he didn't come to just help us to win this particular battle in our life. Or to overcome this particular illness uh, that we have in our life. He was coming to end all battles, right? That's why he ultimately came, was to end all battles and to rid the world of death entirely. That was his purpose. And when he reigns eternally, here's what's going to happen. He's going to restore all things, right? He's going to restore all things. He'll abolish all wars, right? He'll take away all sickness. He's going to take away all pain. He's going to take away all death. He's going to take away all loneliness. And we will experience in our lives ultimate eternal healing that will last forever, scripture says, right? But until then, we're kind of like the folks in in Isaiah chapter 9, aren't we? We're just kind of waiting, We're waiting for that to happen. We're waiting for that to take place. And while God answers prayers in the presence, in the presence, present, thank you, Charles. I may need some help. Jerry's already heard this sermon once. He could probably help me out. I tell you what, you got to love a church member that'll come to both services and say amen during both sermons. But while God still answers our prayers in the present, we still live in a world of trouble and a world of pain and disappointment. And we wait on God to bring that ultimate healing, right? We're waiting on him to do that. And our biggest problem is this. Our biggest problem is not our illnesses. Our biggest problem is not cancer. Our biggest problem is not that we're lonely. Our biggest problem is not any of those things that are going on around us. The biggest problem that we have is sin. That's the biggest problem we've got. You, you can't have a problem any bigger than your sin because your sin in your life has separated you from God. That's about the biggest problem you can have in your life. And, and so Jesus coming the first time and dying on the cross, it defeated sin, right? 
He came the first time to defeat that sin and offered that victory to us, uh, all of us that have received it, right? We've, we've been offered this. But when he comes the second time, he's coming to rid the world of all pain and all suffering. And the first coming of Jesus, think about it, it brought relief from our sins. The second coming of Jesus will bring relief from all our suffering. But for now, we're like Ahaz, and we wait, right? We have the promise that it's coming, but we're waiting. So maybe you're like me, and you're impatient. I don't know. None of you probably are quite as impatient as I am, but... but I look at this and I think, you know, why didn't he just fix all this when he came the first time? <laughs> if I were God, I'd have just took care of it all in one swoop, right? When he, when he came the first time. Because here's the deal. We hate waiting, don't we? We hate waiting. Uh, it's kind of like when you're a kid at Christmas time. It seems like Christmas is never going to get here, right? You remember when you were a young kid and you're waiting and you're waiting for those presents to come. You're waiting for them. You could not, you could not hardly wait uh, until, you know, Christmas morning where you could see if Santa brought what you asked him to bring and, and all those things. I mean, it, it, the way, it's where we get our southern phrase, slow as Christmas, right? That's, that's exactly why we say that. It's because sometimes it seems like it it's almost takes forever for Christmas to get here. And if you think about it, the waiting for Christmas is actually a, a very important part of our Christmas t tradition, if you think about it, because it reminds us that in the life of, of a believer, in the life of a follower of Jesus, we're waiting on something that is coming that is going to be absolutely incredible, right? We're waiting on something that is coming. We know it's coming. Christmas is coming, and we know when it gets here, it's going to be absolutely the most exciting thing ever, right? And we often pray, and we wait. But, but don't miss this. It's often in the waiting where God does his most important work in our lives. It's often in the waiting where he does that. Because here's the deal. God's never late. You know, we, we often think that God's, you know, out there, and he's paying attention to somebody else's situation and not paying attention to ours. Remember in the story of Lazarus, they thought that, that Jesus was late. God's never late. Right? He's never late. He is always in complete control. He created it all. He's in control of it all. We may think that he's late. Ahaz thought that it was too late, but it's not too late. And so if you're here today and you find yourself in a place where you're having to wait on God, and maybe God may be distant or maybe you think that God's paying attention to somebody else's situation, just know that God has all things in his control. He's fully in control. Don't you doubt that, all right? But sometimes we just have to wait, right? And, and so make sure you don't discard God and discard God's plan because you're impatient and, and you don't like to wait, all right? The second thing is this. What we have right now, and this is so important, what we have right now is this. We have Jesus right now in our lives, and we need to understand that, and we need to realize that. This wasn't 700 years before Jesus came. We are here 2,000 years now after he did come, right? Jesus is here. He's been here. He's in here now. If you've asked him and received him as your Lord and Savior, he's in you. He's a part of you. God gives them a, a promise of ultimate fulfillment in the future. But what we get in the present 
for us is the presence of, of Jesus in our lives. Look back at our story. We see these four incredible names here in this prophecy of Jesus that are given here. They're all relational names, if you'll, if you'll notice here. And I want to look at a couple of them here today. There in verse 6, we see the first one. Wonderful Counselor. He's called the Wonderful Counselor. Now, that word wonderful, what, you know, what, what does that mean to us? What does that say? Well, that's basically another word for awesome. A, a lot of our kids, a lot of us going around talking about how awesome things are because we can't think of a word that would describe it any better than that, right? It's just awesome. Well, that's what wonderful means here. It means awesome. It means wondrous. It means awe-inspiring. It means glorious. Think about it. Jesus came as the incarnation of God's glory when he came. That's how he came. So what's a counselor? Well, it's someone who will guide us, right? It's someone who will lead us, someone who will give us advice, someone who will help us in our problems, right? That's what counselors do. They help us in, in our problems. And I think it's interesting that these two words are put together, this wonderful counselor. But what's the significance of that? Well, the way that God helps us in our problems, think about it. If he's our counselor, he's come to help us uh, through our problems. And the way he's our counselor is by allowing us to see how awesome he truly is, how wondrous he is, right? The counselor is the help. The seeing he is wonderful is how he helps us. Y'all don't get it. Y'all want me to go back and preach that part again? I'm not. I don't have time. Um, go listen to it on the DVD. You'll get it the second time. The greatest help to us, though, think about it. In the middle of life, in the midst of life's problems, is for us to see and understand the awesomeness of God. And he says that he will never leave us and that he will never forsake us. And he is always with us and he is always watching over us. The wonderful counselor is here. He's with you to help you. And that's awesome. He's an awesome counselor. He's not just a counselor. He's the most awesome counselor. And we have this assurance that he's with us. And this is so valuable to us as believers and followers of Jesus Christ, right? This can't be overstated how huge this is. And you're not near excited enough. I'm just telling you, this is good news for you. But here's what we do sometimes. I, I think we underestimate so often. We come to church and we're like, you know, well, here's, here's what I, I want from God. I just want God to make my life better, <laughs> you know? And, and we laugh and that's kind of funny, but really that's often what we're praying in our prayers is that God would somehow make our lives better, that he would somehow make our, our families better. You know, God make my marriage uh, better. But, but maybe in that, we're missing the whole point. It's kind of like saying, if a nuclear bomb goes off beside me, will I get hot? You know, yes, you'll get hot, but that's kind of missing the point, right? I, I mean, if a nuclear bomb goes off beside you, your personal temperature is just a tad bit irrelevant at that point in time, right? And, and, and so that's kind of like us going to God and say, God, will you make my life better? You know, will you fix my problems? Nuclear bomb, will you make me hot? We're missing the point. We're, we're missing the point. Life's greatest treasure, life's greatest joy is to know him and, and that he is with us. That's the treasure. He is here. 
He, he is with us. And, and that's the greatest thing. And to know, not only do we know him, but he knows us and he loves us and he wants what's best for us. And he's present in our lives and our situations and even in our problems. Listen, it's not going to take away your problems. I'm not going to stand up here and tell you today that your problems are going to get better that you're going to have better health or, or you, you know, your husband's going to be less grouchy. I can't tell you that, right? That's, that's not what it's all about. He doesn't take away your problems, but listen what it does. Knowing who he is and knowing that he is with you will change the way you face your problems. With the wonderful counselor by your side, doesn't that make you a little more confident in facing the problems that you have in life? Y'all aren't getting this. Y'all aren't near excited enough, okay? And the awesomeness of who Jesus is to you redefines our problems. It doesn't take away our problems, but it redefines our problems and how we face them in our lives. And so for all of you that are overwhelmed, uh, maybe with a problem or a temptation, just soak this in a while, right? Think about this for a little while. In Jesus... You have the presence and the promise of God who, oh, by the way, holds the entire universe in his hands, right? The absolute, you have the absolute approval of the only one whose opinion really matters in this entire world, right? And, and, and he's a wonderful counselor. And then the next description we see here is mighty God. Do we have that tape this morning? I couldn't decide in my notes. I, I, I was wanting to do Mighty God, Prince. I was wanting to do all four, but I preached way too long. And so this morning, I had uh, Prince of Peace up here in the early service. We're going Mighty God because I love Mighty God. And I want to tell you why. When I think of, you know, I've just asked you, what do you think of when you think Mighty God? What comes to your mind? Well, what comes to my mind when I think of Mighty God is a story that we find in the New Testament. Uh, it's a story of Jesus and his disciples on a boat together. A really bad storm comes up. Uh, there, it's recorded in uh, Mark chapter 4. Uh, it's at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, basically, is when this takes, takes place. And uh, they're out on this boat. This major storm blows up. It's bad. I mean, they're being tossed and, and all this. They're all freaking out. The disciples all think they're about to die and they're about to sink. And Jesus is asleep. Remember that story? He's asleep in the boat, and Peter ain't having it, right? And so he does something. Peter screamed at Jesus. <laughs> he did, but he screamed at Jesus, and they're all freaking out, and he's screaming at Jesus. Jesus, don't you even care? You know, you're asleep. We're all about to die. This is the worst storm ever. This will be the end. Jesus basically kind of wakes up the way I wake up in the mornings. I'm sure that's how, no, no Lynette say Jesus never woke up the way I did. I wake up grouchy. But I'm sure Jesus woke up and he kind of looked at Peter. He looked out across the storm. And the scripture tells us that he rebuked the wind and the waves. I believe this is one of the most overlooked miracles of Jesus in the Bible. I think this speaks to us of how mighty he is. Of his awesomeness that he could rebuke the wind and the waves. And he basically looks out across this storm and he says, stop it. Knock it off. He rebuked it. Think, think about what rebuke is. You rebuke someone who is under you, right? 
You, you rebuke uh, uh, someone who is underneath you. You rebuke your kids, right? I mean, you rebuke them and tell them, you know, you can't sleep in the clothes that you're going to wear to school tomorrow. You just can't do that. And so we, we rebuke them for that. If, we're, if you're an em employer, uh, you rebuke your employees. I mean, you don't allow them to show up for work uh, one hour late uh, every single day, right? And so you rebuke them for that. Listen, Jesus rebukes the weather channel, right? It's under him. It's underneath him. He owns the weather. And he stands up and says, knock it off. And we see there in the story, they said, what kind of man is this that even the weather obeys him? Mighty God. The point was that he is a God of unmatched and unlimited power, right? You want to know who Jesus is to you? He's not just the guy that, oh, by the way, controls the wind and the waves. He's the Jesus that was powerful enough and mighty enough to wrestle death and hell on your behalf and emerge from a borrowed tomb three days later, Amen. alive and well. Mighty God. Wonderful counselor. Mighty God. Listen, this is what you get in the present. This is what you get. This is what you have. This is what we have. And so can I ask you a question this morning? Isn't that enough? <laughs> Isn't that enough? Maybe your health has failed. Maybe your dreams in life have been shattered. Maybe your relationships are falling apart all around you. But listen, you have Jesus, the wonderful counselor and the mighty God. He is enough. And for 2,000 years, people who have suffered have testified to this very thing, that he is enough. And so if you're here today and you got problems, right, which I'm going to say probably would be the majority of us here, right? But if you're here today and, and you're hurting, I hope that you can see how he will be enough. And that brings us to our last point in the story this morning uh, is this, and, and that it's that the greatest danger is to replace God with something else in your life. The greatest danger in your life is to replace God with something else, to replace him with something uh, that this world has to offer. Listen, Ahaz wasn't content to trust in God, was he? He wasn't content to do that. He, he didn't want to wait on God and God's plan. So what did he do? He followed his plan. He made an alliance with uh, Assyria. He thought, you know what? If God doesn't come through, well, at least I've got a backup plan, right? I've got a plan. But what happened? Well, his backup plan stunk, right? His backup plan failed. It didn't work. He made this alliance with the Assyrians and, and this compromise, and it led them to disaster, Assyria turns on them, they attack them, then Jerusalem turns to all kinds of idolatry, and it led them ultimately to be carried off into exile. That all happened, why? Because they wouldn't wait. It all happened because they wouldn't wait, and not only would they not wait, they replaced, don't miss this, this is good, 
They replaced God's promise with something else. They replaced God's promise to them with something that they thought made better sense. Who's God and who's not? <laughs> right? They weren't. But yet they replaced his plan with something that they thought made more sense than God's plan. The greatest spiritual threat to your faith is not rejecting God, but I would argue that it's replacing God in your life. So what does that look like? What does it look like when we replace God uh, with other things in their life? Well, maybe, uh, maybe for some of you, uh, it's a situation to where uh, you're lonely and you're still single and you're not happy with that and you're not content with that and you don't want to wait. And so what do we do? We compromise who it is that we date, right? Because you're unhappy in your marriage, maybe rather than trusting God and, and waiting on him, you move on to someone else. Maybe because you're not happy with your income and how much God has given you right now, you get into some really destructive uh, and unhealthy debt. What are we doing when we're doing all these things? When we're searching everywhere else for joy and happiness, what are we doing? We're replacing God, right? We're replacing God's plan in our, in our life. We're refusing to wait. And when we do that, we miss out on what God has for us. We miss out on his plan and his purpose and what he wants to do in and through our lives during this period of time. And, and think about what we do when we get uh, disappointed with something. I was talking to somebody. I, I had a conversation out here in the lobby this morning, and it reminded me of this specific part of the, of the, the message. What do we do when we get disappointed with something in our life? We often want to replace it, don't we? Example, Coach Chad Morris. We were tired of Belama or Bellama or whatever his name was that no one could ever say. We were tired of him. We didn't like what he was bringing to the table. And so we wanted something new. And somebody said, well, what do you think? And I said, well, we may not be any better, but at least we'll look different. Right? And I think that's how we are sometimes. We're, in that, we're, we're that way with a lot of things in our life. Look at me. You will, you'd never know what kind of vehicle I'm driving because when I get tired of them, I just put something different under it. Right? And, I, and I'm happy with that for a little while. And, and then I just want to replace it again. That's what we do in our lives with God so often. We replace him and his plan with all these other things in life that we think will make us happy. Right, and our, the, the, the solution. We often turn to something else, and, and sometimes we, we turn to love. Maybe sometimes we actually turn to a different career or make a career change. Maybe it's a, a new hobby, uh, you know, that, that you're trying. Maybe it's travel. There's lots of things that we plug into our lives to try to bring ourselves happiness, bring ourselves joy, and bring ourselves peace. And we do that while we're waiting on God supposedly to be doing that for us, right? Listen, our confidence in God and our patience in, in waiting to wait on him, to just be satisfied with his presence right here and now is the only thing that's going to bring stability in your life. The patience to wait on him and his plan and not to replace his plan with anything else that the world has to offer. That's the only way you're ever going to have any stability in your life. Look at what God said to Ahaz over in uh, Isaiah chapter 7 and verse 9. He's trying to guide him. He's trying to lead him away from doing something really dumb and stupid. He says, if you do not stand firm in your faith, you will not stand at all. 
You can stand firm in your government. You can stand for, uh, firm in your, you know, political alliances or whatever you want to do. But if you're not standing firm in your faith, you're not going to stand at all. Because it will all crumble and it will all fall. And if you're not firm in the confidence that you have in Jesus, the wonderful counselor and mighty God, if you're not standing firm in that, then your life truly will probably fall apart. Because you won't be firm enough to say no to temptation. You won't be firm enough or grounded enough to say no to bitterness. You will never be satisfied. Believe in what God is doing. Be firm in that. In knowing who he is and that he is with you. And then I promise you your whole life will begin to take shape. And you'll quit being so unstable about everything in your life. Then I, I want to look. I'm going to close with this. Isaiah chapter 8 uh, verse 12. God says this. I love this. Do not fear what they fear and do not dread it. I, I love this passage of scripture. Do not fear what they fear and do not dread it. So what do most people fear in life today? They fear death. Most people in life today fear death. You know, uh, we don't need to. Amen. Jesus has overcome it. You know, we, we, we really don't know what that experience is going to be like, but does it really matter? Because we know what's on the other side of it, right? And so why should we fear death? Because Jesus has already overcome death. A lot of people fear broken relationships. They fear that their relationship may crumble or fall apart. Listen, you don't depend on those relationships if you have a relationship with Jesus, Right? Those other relationships will take care of yourself if you're in the right relationship with the one you're supposed to be in a relationship with. This is good preaching. Amen. And I'm sweating. <laughs> a lot of people in life fear that they're going to file bankruptcy or they're not going to be prepared for, for retirement. They, they fear financial ruin. Listen, Jesus is with you. The wonderful guidance counselor is with you. And he says, I will take care of you. I am here. Why are you worried? Right? He's here. He, he will take care of us. And so if you're overwhelmed today, I know Christmas time can be overwhelming. It's uh, people that struggle with depression. It's the worst time of the year. People have lost loved ones. I get it. I understand it. It's a difficult time. But listen, if you're overwhelmed with some problem today, listen to what God is saying through his word today. Listen to what he's saying. He's saying, I am here. I am in the present. I am in your life. You have got the wonderful counselor. You have got the mighty God that not only controls the weather, but he, he, he's controlled death. He's controlled life. He controls all things because he created all things, and he is in you. <laughs> he is in you. Wow. I hope you hear that today. And you get it. He's here in the presence and we get the wonderful counselor and the mighty God right now. Listen, it came to pass. <laughs> it came to pass. But like those commercials on TV, on Home Shopping Network say, but wait, there's more, right? And it will all be made perfect. It may not be perfect. It may be par, far from perfect right now in your life. But when he comes a second time, all things will be made perfect. Amen. Wait for it. Amen. It's worth the wait. Wait for it. And don't replace God and God's plan and God's promise 
with anything else in your life. Because listen, his second coming, it will come to pass. Amen. Let me pray for you. God, we thank you so much for this awesome reminder today of who you are to us and that you're here. You're not just some God in the distance that's, uh, you know, operating all of us in the world with strings attached and we're kind of like your puppets. But God, the promise to us when Jesus left is that one would come that was even greater than Jesus. And, and it's the Holy Spirit. And we have the Holy Spirit in our hearts and in our lives. If we've accepted you and we walk in faith with you, you are here. You are present. And that doesn't change our problems, but man, it sure does change the way we look at them. Knowing that you are with us and you're walking with us in and through whatever it may be. And, and to understand how temporary it all is. It's so temporary. And so, God, I pray that we would never be found guilty of replacing you or replacing your plan or being so impatient that we move without you and we go before you. God, I pray that, that we would always stay behind you and we would always be a follower as you lead us into the days that you have ahead for us. And God, I pray if there be anyone here today that, that they can't even grasp or comprehend what I've been talking about because they've never surrendered their life to you. They know their life is unsteady. They know they're on shaky ground because they've never surrendered their life to you and given their heart to Jesus and let you done the work in their heart and their life that only you can do. And if there's someone here today that recognizes that and realizes that, I pray that today, maybe even right now in this moment, that they would just seek you and they would come before you and be open and honest that they need a savior and you're the only help that they can get God and so I pray that someone today would find a place and a time to surrender their life to you and to begin a journey uh, with Jesus uh, in their life and in their families today God I just know you want to do some great and awesome things we want to be a part of that we want to be a part of what you're doing and so God find us faithful and God help us because you of all people know how much help that we need to do your work we love you so much much. All praise, glory, and adoration goes to you and what you've done for us through your son Jesus. And it's in his powerful name that we all pray. And everybody said, amen. amen. God bless you. I love you guys. I hope you have a great week. Come back tonight at six if you can. Have your kids here at five.